0: So we're going to be in Colossians chapter four, Colossians chapter four. And with everything that happened, I had a different passage that I thought I was going to preach through uh, this week. But uh, again, I wrote a post on the realm just just after the, the the shooting and everything that's been going on in my life and around this country and around this world that I wrote this blog post and and and, and I was just praying and the Lord pointed me to Colossians chapter four, verses two through six. So that's what we're going to focus on today. And so if you would, will you guys please stand as we honor God's word? And let's listen to God's Word for God's people. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mysteries of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And so that I may make it clear which how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of their time, and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day. Lord, this is the day that you have made, Lord, and we rejoice and are glad in it. As as we already said, we, we rejoice and are glad because we live in the United States of America. We're thankful for that. We could live in some other part of the world where um, injustice happens all the time from the top down. But Lord, we live in in a country that we can exercise our freedom, that we can meet and worship you without any threat of violence. And so Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the men and women who did give their lives up so that we can have this freedom. But ultimately, we're thankful for this day because of your son, Christ, and that we can have ultimate freedom from sin, death, and hell because of what we've because of what You have done for us. And so Lord, may every person in here, may every child, sooner or later, come to the the saving knowledge of Christ. And Lord, we know that there's uh, again Memorial Day weekend and there's a lot of good things happening, and there's also a lot of tough things happening. So if anyone comes in here and they just need rest, Lord, we know that you, You give us Your rest as a great shepherd. If there's anyone here that feels far from the shepherd, Lord, I pray that You would restore their soul. That they would see that You are near. That You are walking and guiding and directing them right now. If they need guidance, Lord, we know that You guide us in Your paths of righteousness. Maybe companionship. Maybe there's some people in here that are struggling with loneliness. Know know that the Lord is with them. Maybe you need security. We know that Your rod and Your staff protect us. Maybe we need provision. And and we know that your, your, Your cup overflows with provision and joy. Maybe we need a hope. As we look around, What's maybe what's going on in our lives or around this country or around this world, we need a hope. And we know that we do have a future hope because we will dwell with You in the house of the Lord forever where there is no sickness, there is no pain, there is no suffering. Every tear will be wiped away and we will be rejoicing for eternity with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So Lord, we thank You. We thank You for Your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> Well, as I said, we are in Colossians chapter 4, and we have a family integrated gathering. Again, we love to have the whole family in the gathering here, from the youngest child to the oldest man or woman. We love to be in here worshiping the Lord, lifting our voices up, sitting under His Word, praying together, singing together, encouraging one another in fellowship. That we are worshiping as individuals and as families, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And one of the best ways we can worship uh, our, our Father is, is making disciples. Is that we make disciples who make disciples. We, we, we fulfill the great commandment. And one of the ways that we can do that is that we understand that discipleship starts in the home. It starts in the home with those who have children. I have five children, and um, my my wife and I understand that if I'm to lead the the bigger church, the larger church, we must first take care and minister to the little church, the church in our family. Uh, The the scripture says that if a a pastor wants to, to lead the church, he must lead his own family first and foremost well. And that's not only for me as a pastor, but that's for all Christians. Because our families have a witness to the world around us. So discipleship begins in the home. And one of the best ways kids will learn the importance of worshiping God and how to worship God in spirit and truth is by watching and imitating their parents. Is by watching and imitating you. Your life, not only on Sunday mornings, but also throughout the week. How do you live your life in worship of the Lord? There's a great little country song that understands this truism about watching and imitating. And it's called Watching Me. Uh, the first stanza starts out with this guy, the, the guy singing, and uh, he's driving along. They got McDonald's, him and his little kid. He wanted to bless his little kid. Something happens, and the little kid spills his McDonald's, and he says a bad word. And the father is just like, whoa, what, what, what just happened? Of course, I'm adding to the lyrics here, okay, and, and, and dramatizing. So you guys know what I'm saying. He's like, what just happened? How, where'd you learn to say that, son? And this is what the son said. He said, Dad, I've been watching you. Dad, ain't that cool. I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. And so the dad immediately, as soon as they get home, he it says this. The next stanza goes like this. We got back home and I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard. I said, Lord, please help Me with my stupid self. You guys need to understand the gospel a little bit better. But uh, then bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight. He crawled out of bed. He got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes and he folded his hands. And he spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, where'd you learn to pray like that? And he said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. Imitating through watching. Kids, we got any kids in here? Kids, can I hear you? Go ahead and scream in church. You're allowed to scream. Go ahead. Are you here? All right. Nice. Parents, you can thank me later for that. All right. Kids, how many of you in here love your parents? Raise your hand. Scream around loud. Yes. I might as well just have a chalkboard here to put my nails on, there. Kids, how many of you watch your parents? Yeah, raise your hand. Kids, how many do you want to be like your parents? Raise your hand. Yeah. Parents, look around. Imitating them, they're watching you. Your kids are watching you. And so this morning, uh, you know, your children get to watch you and me, the adults in this room, worship. They get to watch us worship. And not only here on Sunday, but again, they get to watch you throughout the week. And it's, and it's my prayer for you that they see a consistency, not a, not a perfection, but a consistency on how you follow after the Lord, how you worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. That your words and actions uh, line up with what it means to follow King Jesus. And it's my prayer that all of us today will learn from the Apostle Paul from Colossians chapter 4. That we would watch and imitate him and what he has called us to in these verses. As he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So as we look to Paul, he's going to point us to Christ. And that is, again, my prayer for you as parents today with these little children. That as they look to you, as they long to imitate you, that you would point them to King Jesus just like Paul is. And Paul points us to two, two very general yet specific ways in which we can honor and worship the Lord. One, through the privilege of prayer, and two, through the privilege of proclamation. And so let's look at that briefly together. First, we see the privilege of private prayer in verses 2 and 4. Now Paul is, is, is writing this letter to a church that he's never been to, the church of Colossae. It was, it was planted by someone that he led the faith of Epaphras, and that Epaphras went to the city of Colossae and started the, the church. He church planted it. And Paul's never been here, but he wants to encourage them. And so the first two chapters are about the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ. And then we get to to chapter three, and we and we looked at chapter three at the state of the crossing. This will be our our heartbeat for the state of the crossing. Now, if we have been raised in the gospel, if we've been raised with Christ. Then our lives should imitate Christ. That we we, we put off uh, the things of the flesh and the evil desires of the flesh, and we we put on like clothes the uh, what it looks like, the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit: love, mercy, forgiveness, gentleness, etc. And then he gives some specific exa- examples in the end of uh, chapter three, in the beginning of chapter four, about what does this look like specifically in marriage, in parenting, parenting how you how you parents cha- parent your children, and also in the workplace. Then we get to chapter four. And here, chapter 4, Paul is just kind of finishing up. He's landing the plane in Colossians, and he just gives some general characteristics and commands for all in Christ. And look at verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul begins this new section uh, encouraging the Colossian church to pray. To pray. Now prayer, as we know, is one of the most important expressions of a, a new life in, in Christ as a new life as a Christian. It's one of the things that we, we immediately start to do once we repent of our sins and trust in Christ. We start to dialogue with God through prayer. It's one of the first things. It is our main way in which we communicate with God. The main way, primarily how God communicates with us, is through His Word. He speaks to us through His Word and through His Son Jesus. And then how we respond to Him, how we communicate our, our praise to Him is through our words to Him. Prayer. But here's the thing. If it's the main way in which we communicate prayer, why is it so hard? Raise your hand if you find prayer easy in here. Raise your hand. Handful. How many of you raise your hand if you find prayer hard in here? Raise your hand. How many of you that didn't raise your hand, go ahead and raise your hand that you find prayer hard for me real quick, right? <laughs> prayer is hard. And and, and and I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, prayer is hard because one... Um, when we pray, we're, we're not getting anything back from God. And what I mean by that is when my wife and I are in communication and dialogue, and when I'm talking to her, she's responding to me. She's a physical presence in my presence. And I can see her facial expressions. I, I can see her hand motions. I can hear her voice. She's interacting with me. And so it's easy to have a conversation with a person that's there. But with God, He's here, but He's not here, right? Right? When I go on my prayer walk, I'm sitting there, you know, sometimes I'm just singing or praying to the Lord. You know, I look weird, right? When we see people talking to themselves, we think like, oh man, there's something wrong with that individual. We need to put him in the loony bin. And that's why prayer can be so hard. One of the reasons. And I want to encourage you this morning that the early church had the same difficulty. This is why Paul writes Colossians chapter four. This is why he commands them to to be devoted to continue in prayer. Because he understands that prayer is hard for, for a number of reasons, but that reason. And so he's encouraging them. And Paul then gives us a, a little recipe for prayer. And he gives us three ingredients. Now these are general, so all of us can implement this in our prayer life right now. And if you do, if you implement these, implement these three little ingredients to prayer, your prayer life is going to take off. It's going to help you pray a little bit more. First, he says this, fruitful prayer is steadfast. It's, it's persistent. It's determinative. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's normal. It's daily like breathing. Or like communicating with your spouse or your coworkers or your siblings. It's natural. Listen, prayer is not event-driven. Though it can be driven by events. It is a lifestyle. It happens daily. Paul says this in other places. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, Pray without ceasing. But I like how one commentator, he captures this about faithful prayer is steadfast, it's persistent. He says this, steadfast prayer is a gritty determination not to give up until God responds. That's what it means to be steadfast and persistent. It's a gritty determination that you keep asking the Lord over and over again until he responds. And he might respond with a yes, he might respond with a no, and he might respond with a maybe, so keep praying. It's a persistent, when I, when I think of persistence and steadfastness, I immediately think of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. And I think this is where Jesus even really captures the heart. This is what I think Paul is thinking of, uh, is in Luke chapter 18, where, where Jesus said, pray and do not lose heart. Or pray and do not give up. Sometimes the answer, the Lord doesn't answer us immediately. He wants to hear from us. He wants to say, is this really important to you? Then, 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 and then show me by prayer. And he's not trying to, again. Have you earn something? He's just like he's, he's helping us say, "Is this is really important?" There are times with my kids when they said, "Daddy, daddy, daddy, I really, really want this thing," and I say, "Okay, if you really, really want this thing, I got some options for you." And one of the options typically is like you get to pick after, pick up after the dogs for the next two months, right? And they're like, oh, "I don't want it that bad, Dad," right? But then there's a persistence be like, yep, all right, whatever. I'm doing it. There's a, there's a determination there. Um, I read this this past week about Keanu Reeves. Now, I don't think he's a believer, but he's been an actor in which I've, I've looked to because of some things, and, and I actually uh, respect the guy. Um, he's not like the typical Yahoo uh, actors and actors we have in Hollywood. There's something genuine about him. He has a, a reputation of being generous and and it just being down to earth. This, let me just give you a little background. When I learned this, I was just like, whoa, OK. Here's a little background on Keanu Reeves. He suffered through tremendous hardship growing up. At the age of 13 years old, his father abandoned his family. His mother married and divorced four separate times, moving him from Australia to Canada. And he eventually ended up in L.A., In 1998, he he fathered his first child with his then wife, who died eight months later, his child. And then 18 months after that, their relationship ended with his wife. His ex-wife was killed in a car accident. These are are some of the things that Keanu Reeves had to work through. Again, I don't think Keanu Reeves is a believer, but it shows that determination and grit, you can be successful in life. Now, how much more for us as Christians to be determinative in prayer? That we know the Father in heaven who gives good gifts to His children. And He wants to hear from you consistently. That's why He says, ask and seek and knock. Keep on doing it. Be like the persistent widow who peppered this jug over and over again until finally the judge said, "All right, I'm going to give it to you. Because I see this is really meaningful to you. So that's the first thing we need. We need to be steadfast, persistent in our prayer. Continually. Again, it's a lifestyle. Secondly, fruitful prayer is watchful. What does it mean to be watchful in prayer? It means to, to be alert. It means to understand what's going on around you. We understand what's going on in our lives, but those of us that have kids, do you know what's going on in your, in your kids' lives? Even if they're younger in elementary school, there's a lot of things happening to them in school. Do you know that? Are you watchful? Are you alert? Are you involved? And even as they get older, even more importantly to be involved with your children, are you watchful? Do you know what's going on in the context around you, where you live, work, and play? Be alert in prayer, and let me just say, if you're alert in prayer, this—if you—if you have trouble praying, this is going to help you pray consistently and persistent. Because you're going to look around in the world around you, those that you work with, your co You're gonna—you're gonna be alert. You see that they, man? They may be struggling. I need to—I need to pray for them. You look around this world from the wars and what's going on in the Supreme Court and, and you know, just our, our government and the political strife. Man, we got stuff to pray for, don't we? When, when you understand and you're watchful what's going on in this world, it's going to compel you to pray. Because we understand, while we're called to be ambassadors, while we're called to, to work and to fight and to do things, as a Christian, we ultimately know that God is sovereign, in control, and He is moving this world for His glory and for our joy, and I just sat and just thought. Man, the last several months for me have been just an absolute roller coaster. I've been sharing that with you. I've had some great times, and we've had some low times. And one thing that I found out is that I have so much going on with those around me that I've been praying for you and others that I forget to pray about myself for myself, and that's good and bad. Because too often we just, we just pray for ourselves. We're, we're selfish, but when we, we're watchful and alert, knowing what's going on around us, we become selfless and we start praying for others. But we also must pray for ourselves because in Mark chapter 14, Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter t- in temptation. There's still an enemy out there that wants to steal, kill, and destroy for me. And so I also need to focus on like, hey, w- where do I need to pray? What's going on in my heart? Am I watchful? Am I alert? To the, to the enemy's, you know, strategies to try to get me off track. So we need to pray. We need fruitful prayers, watchful for your own heart and for those around you. And then also it's, it's, it's thankful. It's thankful. Be thankful. Be grateful. Again, we're, still, we're looking at Memorial Day. It's a great weekend to be thankful. Thankful for those that, those men and women that, again, gave up their lives so that we can have the country that we have today. Be thankful. Have gratitude for all the good gifts that God has given you. He has given you and me tremendous gifts. From the biggest gifts to spouse and jobs and a roof over our head to the smallest gifts. Sunscreen. Toenail clippers, right? I mean, all of those are good gifts from the Lord. Be thankful. Here's the deal. as we, It's so easy to be Debbie Downers or negative Nancys in our world, isn't it? It's not going the way we want it to go. And yet, we need to be thankful. Why? Because here's, here's the whole truth. And here's the real truth. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. If you do, you're going to be thankful. It's going to change the way in which you look at this world and what's going on. And you're going to go from a pessimist to someone that's going to be like, man, you got so much joy in you, I can't be around you it's going to be your gratefulness is going to seep through it's like a sponge you a sponge when you, when, you, when you know a sponge soaks up water and when you squeeze it what comes out water when you understand where sin and grace abounds all the more when 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 the world squeezes you what's going to overflow is going to be joy encouragement gratefulness and grace be grateful be thankful we're in the book of colossians he this book of Colossians is known for Paul's thankfulness. Remember, where is Paul writing this letter from? He's writing from prison. He's writing from prison. He's in confinement. He's in jail. And yet, he is thankful. This whole book, been one of the main themes throughout it is thankfulness. It begins out in Colossians 1 3. We always thank God. And then, every single chapter, 1, 2, 3, 4, there's a focus on being thankful. So, be thankful. Look at your life and be thankful for the Lord of what He has given you. And when you and I view our again our lives through the the gospel of grace and God's goodness to us, from what He has done for us, but not only what He has done for us, but what He promises to do in the future for us, we'll be thankful. So this is gonna you add these three ingredients to your prayer life: steadfastness, perseverance. watchfulness, alertness, and thankfulness, you're going to be able to pray. And you're going to be able to pray continually. So implements. So in verse 3, though, Paul gets even more specific. Those are some general characteristics for us to add. But then in verse 3, Paul gives us some very specific ones. Look at verse 3. He says, at the same time, pray also for us. For Paul and his team that's in prison. That God may open a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ. The Gospel and His truths on account for which I'm in prison. So that I may make it clear in which I ought to speak. This is really convicting when I read this. When we stop and pause and see what Paul is praying for here, it should, it should pause you, thought, like, whoa, that's incredible. This is convicting. Because notice what Paul is asking for again. He's asking, he's in prison. He and his team is in prison, and he doesn't ask to be released from prison. He asks for the ability to share the gospel, he asks for the ability to share the truths of the mysteries of Christ with those he's in prison with. It's incredible. The open door here is not, again, to be released from prison. The open door is the opportunity to share the Gospel and the good news to those around him. I don't know if, if I was a part of Paul's team there and I was sitting here pen this letter to the Colossians. I'm like, yo, Paul, what are you doing right now? He goes, oh man, I'm writing a letter to the Colossians. Oh, great. What are you saying? You, you... Well, I'm asking him to pray for us. Oh, that's awesome, man! Are you asking them to pray like you know Peter in Acts, where it says when the people were praying that Peter was in prison, the people were praying. All of a sudden, Peter was released miraculously and started knocking on the door. Is that what you're praying for, Paul? You no, know, man, I'm praying for him to to help us share the good news. I'd be like, whoa, 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 what? He doesn't do that. He's he's focused on those around them. Even in his confinement, his specific prayer is for the opportunity to share the Gospel and the truths of Scripture with those around him. He's praying for open doors. For the Lord to open these doors to the prisoners' hearts to share and meet them where they're at with the truth of the Gospel. And why is he asking them for this specific prayer? Because Paul is being watchful. It goes back to our point before. Paul is being watchful. He understands that some of these men, some of these women that are in prison here, probably are going to be in here for the rest of their life. He might understand. He might be standing next to a guy who's going to be crucified the next day on the cross. And this is the only opportunity that they're going to have left to hear the Gospel. And so he's alert with what's going around and he's saying, I need to, to bring the good news of the Gospel to those around me right now. Now, obviously none of us are in prison right now. Literally. But figuratively, maybe some of us are in confinement in some areas of our life. Maybe some of us are in confinements with our job. We're like, man, my job is just a dead end job. Maybe, maybe you're in confinement with maybe your health. Maybe your health is not as, as 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 healthy as it should be. Maybe some of you are in some difficult marriages right now. And I think what Paul is saying to us is is pray for the opportunity to the gospel and the spiritual uh, the mysteries of Christ to impact your heart. But then also look to the opportunity to to pray for those around where you are living, where you are working, where you are praying. Maybe the Lord has you, no, I know this, the Lord has you in the spot He has you for a specific purpose. And that's to worship and love Him and to be an ambassador of Christ to those around you. He he, he might pull you out of a dead-end job. He, He might heal you. But again, focus on why He has you there. Be like Paul. Have the mindset of Paul. And that we should be praying for one another specifically for open doors, again, for the Gospel and the mystery of Christ. But not only that, not only open doors, but look at verse 4. That I also make it clear which I ought to speak. Now this is crazy to me. The Apostle Paul is asking for clarity of speech when sharing the Gospel and the mysteries of Christ. Do you find that not amazing? I find that kind of amazing and kind of sobering and humbling. Why? Because Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, right? And if he wrote 13 books of the New Testament and he's asking for clarity, how much more do you guys need to be praying for me every week, right? I think that's pretty funny. You guys should be laughing about that. It's like, that means a whole bunch. You're like, Yo, Aaron, it's not funny because I need to be praying for you because I hear you. you know, it's like, I get it, right? You need to be praying for anyone who gets up here and opens the Word. And so... Pray for clarity. that make it clear? Not only for Paul, but his team. And so pray for everyone who teaches in the crossing. Well, who is that? Well, that's everyone in here. Everyone in here is called to be a teacher. Everyone in here is called to be a disciple maker who makes disciples who make disciples. And we know one of the ingredients of making disciples is teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That we are all called to be teachers in here. So Paul is saying that we all need prayer for clarity of speech. We need to be praying for one another for open doors and clarity of speech of the Gospel. And this morning, really specifically, let's get real, real practical. Parents, are you praying for your kids? For an open door to share the Gospel? Whether they're young or whether they're old. Don't take it for granted, right? There's some parents in here that are a little bit older, a little bit seasoned. He's going to say, don't take it for granted that to, to share the gospel with your kids. You share the gospel. You preach the mysteries of Christ to your kids on a daily basis as they are growing up. Start younger. And even when you're older, parent, we, have some, we have some parents in here that have older children that aren't walking with the Lord, and we need to be praying for them as well. That they have an open door to open the uh, to, to 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 share the gospel with their kids and share the mystery of Christ, and so this morning as we are listening and hearing this, don't just be hearers of the word, don't just be observers of what Paul is saying, but be doers. Let's be doers for one another in this area of prayer, in our private prayer time. Let's be praying for one another. Let's be praying for one of those families for open doors to share the gospel and for the mysteries of Christ to permeate our families. Let's be doers of the Word, not just mere hearers of the Word. You've maybe heard, some, maybe heard this uh, someone tell you this. Man, the, the least of the things that I can do is pray for you. Has anyone ever heard that? The least of the things I can do is pray for you. I hear it all the time. It's like, the least? That's one of the best things you can do is pray for me. It's one of the best things that I can do is pray for you. It's one of the best things you can do for each other is pray for one another. So let's do that together. Let's be. Let's this summer be a, the summer of prayer. This is why Sunday mornings are so important. This is why life groups are so important. This is why journey groups are so important. So that we can be steadfast in prayer for one another. That we can be alert, and know what's going on in our lives and in our families' lives, so that we can pray with thankfulness. I love what C.S. Lewis said. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, "I have two lists of names in my prayers." I I pray for those whose conversions I pray for. And those whose conversions I give thanks. He he prays for those around him who don't know Jesus. I I pray for them to come to know Jesus. For those open doors. And I also have a list of prayers to say, for those that have repented and trusted him, I I give thanks. So let's be a people of prayer. Second, the privilege of of public proclamation, verses 5 and 6. Look at verse 5 walking wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of our time. Paul, Paul shifts from private prayer to public proclamation. It's, it's sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus with your words. This is evangelism. He's saying that not only do I do I pray for you, but now we also have a, an opportunity Colossian Church to, to evangelize and proclaim the good news of those where you are at, those in your circles of influence where you live, work, and play. And, 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 and proclaiming Jesus has two parts. We Proclaim Jesus with our walk and we proclaim Jesus Jesus with our words. Our walk in our words. You see, typically when evangelism is boiled down or taught, it's, it's, it's a formula. It's a process, right? The evangelism explosion, the way of the master, right? There's this, hey, there's this four point step process for evangelism. And when you look at Scripture outside the Romans road, that kind of gives you an outline. That would be a good one. But there is no four-point way to evangelize. In Scripture, the way Jesus evangelizes, the way Paul evangelizes, it's through his lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of words and your walk. And a quick disclaimer here. A person is only saved by hearing of the Gospel. The Gospel is good news. You've got to proclaim the Gospel. Um you can't you, you're not gonna you can't save someone by just living a good life where they're just looking at your walk and be like, Oh, that's a good life, or or just general with creation. You gotta hear the gospel proclaimed so they can stop and repent. Specific revelation, the need to hear the good news of Jesus' life. So we need to speak the gospel for someone to be saved. With that said, our lives, how we live, the content in which people see us live, how we live our lives, can help. Can perk someone's interest in the gospel when, when they know you before Christ and you come to see and you come to Christ. You've crossed over from death to life. There's a massive change that changes in your lifestyle. For me, when I got saved as a young senior in high school, one of the things that people noticed immediately was my language. My my language immediately changed. And those who are around were praying uh, that I was playing, It's like man, Aaron used to to have these certain desires and passions, and, and those are no longer there. Now he has these certain desires and passions for the Lord. They're like, what's up with Aaron? How'd you change? Your life will change when you come in contact with the Savior, when you've crossed over from life to death. Your walk, your the way you live, it, it will change. It, you will be different. It will speak to those around you that something has happened in your life. And so first, what does that look like in verse 5? It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of our time. Again, as you know, the word walk here means what is your lifestyle saying to the world around you? When people look at your life, what, what is your life saying to them? The outsiders here are non-Christians. Those are your friends who do not know Jesus. Those are the outsiders. Who are your friends that are looking at your life they're reading you. We're all in a fishbowl. Whether you like it or not, every Christian is in a fishbowl to those who don't know Jesus. And they're not maybe reading Christian books. They're not coming on Sundays to listen to Christian sermons. But what they are reading and what they are listening to is your walk and your words. That's what they're reading. That's what they're exposed to. How do you work? How you treat others? How do you handle trials and suffering? How do you handle successes? They're watching you. So walk in wisdom. Don't let your life be a hindrance to the Gospel, but let your life the way you walk be confirmation of the Gospel. That it does change a person. It does make a difference in your life. As Titus 2.10 says, that we want our lives to adorn the doctrine of God. So when they see your works in Matthew 5, it says that they, they would give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And, and what does it look like to walk in wisdom? Look at uh, verse 5b. Making the best use of your time. Now some versions might say redeem the time. Uh, this is really interesting in studying this. I didn't know this. So I was, I, this is really cool this week, especially this weekend as we're preaching this passage. Who in here loves to shop? Go ahead and raise your hand. Don't be, don't be shy. Who in here loves to shop for bargains? Raise your hand. I mean, we're on Memorial Day weekend. For some people, it's like, this is great. I've been waiting to buy this thing for months, and now Memorial Day comes. It's on sale. I can get it at a bargain. This is the language that Paul is using right here. When he says, making the best use of your time, one commentator says, this is a commercial term that says, seize the bargain. Buy it now. Another way, literally it means buying up opportunity. So as we're walking in wisdom, the Paul is saying, look around you. Be alert for the opportunities to share the Gospel. And when it presents itself, it's like a bargain. You go and buy it. You seize the day. You share the Gospel. And so when you live with people, there are going to be times in their lives where they're going to struggle. A trial is going to happen in their life. And you're going to recognize it. Or something's going to happen in our culture that's going to cause them to pause and think and ask questions. There's going to be an opportunity for spiritual conversation. And Paul says when that happens, when you're alert with those in your, in your circles of life, and those things happen in their life, it's, it's time to seize the opportunity. It's time to, to buy it. It's time to step in and share the Gospel. A simple way is like what I call water-cooler evangelism. It's like on, on Sundays, you're going to go to work on Monday, except for tomorrow, most of us have Memorial Day off. But you you know you go to work on Monday, and typically, and this is a, shows you I'm a little bit older, because there's not a lot of water coolers anymore, but as you guys know, there used to be water coolers, and you used to gather around the water cooler early in the morning, and you'd be like, hey, what'd you do this weekend? So one of the outsiders, one of your non-believing friends, one of your co-workers that don't know Jesus, they ask you this weekend, uh, on, on Monday, what'd you do this weekend? That's an open door. That's like a bargain. They're, they're asking you a question. So you need to seize the moment. How do you seize the moment? And notice it's natural. You don't have to bring this up. This is just a natural question. You can be like, well, I did some yard work. You know, it's summer out. I did some yard work. I went to, went to some grad parties. And then, you know what? I went to church this weekend. And the pastor talked about, he talked about prayer. What do you, what do you think about prayer? Do, do you pray? Is there anything that I can pray for you this, this week? That's an open door. That's what it looks like to to seize the moment. When your non believing friends ask you questions, and you can naturally just say, like, hey, heard a message on prayer this week. That's an opportunity. Here's another opportunity. There's a lot of talk in our world right now about school shootings, right? there's There's an opportunity there. And we need to seize the opportunity. When we have people in our circles of influence that are talking about this, we don't shy away. We enter in. It's an opportunity to share the good news of the Gospel. It's an opportunity to share uh, the the world of of sin and death, but then the the joy of Christ and the restoration found only in Him and His Word. It's an opportunity to step in. It's an opportunity to talk. Ask good questions, then listen. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Because... The individual you're addressing has a past. They've had some things happen in their life that they might attack a school shirt in a certain certain way. And so you need to listen to that so that you can apply the truth of Scripture and the gospel to where they're gonna gravitate towards it, where it's gonna be palatable towards them. You see, this is lifestyle evangelism. It's response evangelism. What is happening in people's lives? Now this might mean don't automatically share the gospel. It might, but it might not. There might there might be some work that you might need to do to earn their trust. You got to use wisdom here. Are they open to hearing about spiritual things? Do they want to dialogue? Or are there some hurdles that I need to walk through first before I prematurely share the gospel with them? Do I need to build trust? In other words, Lifestyle evangelism. And what Paul is saying here, he says, not only are you looking for the opportune and appropriate time to share, but because you're alert with those around you, because you're invested in their lives, you'll be able to share the appropriate truth of where they are at. You'll be able to share the truth where they're like, oh, man, that applies to my life. That applies to my heart right now you show the appropriate truth and apply it to where they are at. And sometimes, I've had this happen rarely, but sometimes they're like the, the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, you're like, what must I do to be saved? Right? Just immediately, what, what must I do to be saved? But most often, you're going to see more like Acts 17. You're going to get two responses. You're going to be like, man, that's really interesting. Let, let's get together and talk more about that. Or they're going to think you're crazy. Like, oh, that's good for you, but that's not for me. And that's not, then it informs you on how to pray for them moving forward. So Paul is asking you this week is where are your opportunities? And when those opportunities present themselves to you naturally in the course of life, seize them, buy them up like a bargain. Because God moves through his gospel. He will open doors for you and move. Second, quickly with our words. Colossians 4.6 Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, ought to answer one another. I love this. Paul says let our words be gracious. Here's a real simple principle. You guys might want to write this down. I don't know. I wrote it down. Share the gospel of grace with grace. Right? Share the gospel of grace with grace. Don't, don't share it with law. Don't be rude. Don't be arrogant. Don't be condescending. Don't be like an angry street preacher out there just you know, yelling and screaming at someone. Share the Gospel of grace with grace. Be gracious. This is what Jesus said. This is what the people said about Jesus. Luke 4.22 And all spoke well of Him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from His mouth. The gracious words. Not only was the the message He was speaking gracious, but how He presented it was gracious. Remember, He was around sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And this was their view of Him. He didn't compromise the truth. He spoke the truth in grace. With grace. Let us do the same. Not only let us speak with graciousness, but also be seasoned with salt. We know that salt was used as a preservative But that's not what it's talking about here. It's used as flavor. Salt was used as flavor to flavor the food, to make it taste better. And if you didn't put enough salt on it, the food would be what? Bland. But if you put too much salt on it, the food would be what? You you couldn't eat it. And so what Paul is saying here, put the right amount of salt on how you share the Gospel. With your tone, with your posture, with your non-verbals. What this doesn't mean is that you don't need to add or subtract from the gospel. The gospel message is perfectly salty. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about changing the message of the gospel. We're, he's talking about being salty in how you share the gospel. Uh, it means this it means use humor, be witty, be engaging, uh, be eager, be thoughtful. Again, know your audience. Be alert. And then take the Gospel and apply it to a way in which they, it will make sense to them. In other words, share the Gospel. Be, be winsome. Be winsome. There are Christians out there that, I don't know about you, but I have no desire to be around. Because they're stuffy. They're arrogant. They're rude. But then I have Christians and I look at you guys and like, man, I want to be around these guys. I want to be around these women. Why? Because they're winsome. They're happy. They're joyful. They're engaging. They're thoughtful. I'll listen to that. That's what it means to be always seasoned with salt. Let your words, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Be winsome. In other words, be you. Be you. Be how the Lord has wired and created you. I'm wired and created a very specific way with my passions. The way I communicate. You know, I'm Italian, so sometimes I can get loud. I can, I can you know, use my arms. That doesn't mean that's the way you communicate. You be you. God has created you and wired you a specific way. Some of you guys are funnier than all get out. Use humor. Some of you guys are smarter than anyone that I know. Use your wisdom. Be you. Do you see how freeing this is? This is what Paul is saying. Lifestyle evangelism through your walk and through your words. It's, it's be who God has created you with graciousness and seasoned with salt. And then finally he ends with this. When you do this, when you walk in wisdom, when you know what's going on in the hearts and minds of the people around you, when you walk with grace, when your speech is seasoned with salt, you know what's going to produce? You know you know what your friends that don't know Jesus, you know what's gonna do? It's like they're gonna feel comfortable coming to you and asking you questions when 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 trials hit. When they have questions about what's happening in the world, they're like, Man, I I don't have any categories for this. Who can I who do I think of that I can go and ask questions to? They're gonna think of you. Because you're approachable, you're graceful, you're thoughtful, you're funny. And they're going to come to you and they're going to ask you questions and, and you're going to have the right answers because you know them. You will know how to answer each person. Circle that word each there. It's different. There's no cookie, 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 cookie cutter way to share the gospel. It's different for each individual. You'll know their story. You'll know their background. You know where they have in their, their church background. Is it positive or it's negative? You'll know their passions, their likes, their dislikes, their struggles. You will know how to bring the Gospel truth to where they are at. An example would be like this. Maybe some of your friends grew up where a a dad was ultra-demanding. And they only felt love from their father if they did well in school. Or they, they, they made that team. They, they, they merited. They had to merit His love. They had to merit His favor. And if they failed, forget about it. He might as well just, just toss you away like a rag doll. When you understand that's a person's background, that's where you can come in and say, oh, we have a, we have a Father in Heaven who loves us. Hey, he understands that there, we can't be perfect. We can't be good enough. So He sent His own Son to die on the cross for your sin. So you might become a child of the King. You see, here's the Gospel. The Gospel is God loves us, therefore we obey. It's not obey and then God will love us. I've shared that with many of individuals that have had a background like this and it is, it is earth-shattering to them. I was speaking at a men's conference and I shared this truth. And a 55-year-old man came up to me and he said, I've been in the church my whole life and I've never heard that. Do you know how freeing that is? Now I see how God truly looks at me. It's not on my effort or how I can merit favor from Him. It's already been done. He's done that for me. I just have to believe. And it changed His life. It's going to to change individuals' lives around you. You will know how you ought to answer each person in your life. And again, what is the Gospel message? The clarity of the Gospel message? is that God created this world and He created good. But man rebelled, man sinned, turned his back on God and went his own way. So God in His love and His mercy and His grace, He sent us Jesus to be our substitute. To live in, the, live in our place, to die on the cross, to pay for the judgment that we deserve. And then He was buried and He rose again three days later to prove that He was the Messiah and the King. And those who believe in Jesus, those who repent of their sin and trust in what He has done for them will be saved. That's the clarity of the Gospel. That's ultimately what we want to share with those who don't know Jesus. And so this summer, let's, let's learn from Paul. Let's learn from Paul and take these attributes of what it means to, to follow after Christ. Let's, let's pray for one another. Let's be steadfast in prayer. Let's be alert and watch one each other's lives. Let's be pray and thankful. And then let our walk and our words be honoring to the Lord. And when we do that, when we're focused on that, I love what Psalm 5 says. The, the Psalm 5 says, In the morning, David says, I, w- I will pray. I will pray. I will let my request be made known to the Lord, and then I'm going to sit back and watch. Let us do that. Let us pray this summer and then sit back and watch how the Lord will use you and me to impact others for his kingdom, for his glory and our joy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to learn from Paul. And Lord, thank you for, again, this opportunity to hear from Paul and to be imitators of him. Because he's imitators of Christ. His, his life points us to Christ. And so Lord, I pray right now that our lives would point, point those outsiders, our friends and our family members that don't know Jesus to Christ. That we would be gracious. That our, uh, our words would be seasoned with salt. They would see our, our walk and be like, man, there's something different about you. I knew you when, and then you said you came to Christ and there's a transformation. But you're not more cranky or crotchety. You're actually more joyful and happy. You're gracious. Lord, let us be that people. And Lord, use the Crossing Church. Use each and every individual in here to impact the souls around us where we live, work, and play. Opening doors for the Gospel and the, and the mysteries of Christ's truth. And in particular, Lord, let us do this for the children. For all of our kids. From the youngest to the oldest. Our greatest prayer is that our children will know the Lord Jesus.